0: When I was a young teenager, my family took a trip to New York City. And uh, when we were there, we did all the tourist type of things. You know, we saw the Statue of Liberty and went to Rockefeller Center and Times Square. And we rode the subway. And that was an adventure for us because I grew up in Monrovia, Maryland. And in my hometown, we had, at that time, a population of less than 1,000 people. So we didn't have a subway where I grew up. So this was new for us. And we were riding the subway, we were trying to figure out what stop we were supposed to take, and we figured, okay, it's probably this next one. When the doors opened, we took one last look at the map and realized, no, 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 we need to go go one more stop. And we realized that right before the doors closed. So the doors closed, and that's when me and my family looked over, and we realized that my younger brother hadn't gotten that memo. (laughs) And he stared at us from the other side of the doors, just in disbelief. In that moment, fear and panic struck the hearts of my siblings, myself, my parents. My parents were yelling at Nick to just stay where he was. We we're going to come back for him. We had no idea if he heard us as the train started to take off. So as we stood there in the train, anxiously waiting for it to get to the next stop, one passenger tried to comfort us by saying, well, you know, it worked out for that kid in Home Alone 2, so it's probably <laughs> going to be okay for him. That was not really that comforting. And thankfully, to make a long story short, we got back and we found Nick right where we left him. I ran up and I gave him a a big hug, which he did not reciprocate. And in that very moment, I realized something. Nick was not scared at all. Uh, He wasn't scared the way that we were. He was annoyed with us, but he wasn't afraid the way that we had been. And, And it was a time where I remembered something, which is that uh, the truth is all of us face different fears in this life. What you're afraid of might not be something that makes me scared, vice versa. There's all sorts of fears we face. It seems that loss is probably what most people fear, loss. Loss of health or financial security or possessions, jobs, loved ones, loss of our own lives. These are things that can certainly be frightening to us but we know that we can't let these fears keep us from living life. Now as Christians, I think some things that we fear include being rejected for our faith, or sharing the gospel and suffering in some way for that, or upholding righteousness in a world that we know will call us bigots for doing so. But we know we can't let these fears keep us from living for Christ. We all face fears at times. How we respond to those fears is very important. Do those fears cripple us? Do they keep us from living for Christ, from trusting him with our life? What are you afraid of right now in your life, in your situation, believer? And is that fear guiding you or is your confidence in Jesus Christ guiding you? Well, I think there are some wonderful news and truths that we're going to see as we turn together to Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me, Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 914, page 914, Romans chapter 5. Here in this chapter, we're going to find some truths that should cause us to not only be truly thankful this week, but truths that should bring us Great confidence when we face those trying and frightening times in this life. So as you turn there, just a brief recap of what we've gone through so far in Romans. Paul had just told the Roman church that faith in Jesus alone justifies us. That is, faith in Jesus is what makes us right before God. And it was only after Paul had talked about all of our hopelessness all of our need for Jesus, only after going through the depths of our weakness that we could reach this point in the letter. So let's look together. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have given him our lives, who have gone to him for forgiveness and salvation, we now have peace with God, Paul says. Well, that means that there is a time when we were not at peace with God. In a little bit, we're going to see that. When Paul says that before we were in Christ, we were enemies of God. In other words, it's not just that we were once lost sinners, wandering around in life, ignoring the truth of God. No, no, we were actively opposed to him. Some people may not like that. They may not agree with it. Some people might think, no, no, the enemies of God, those are just the atheists on TV who are shouting and saying that God doesn't exist. Or people might say, no, the enemies of God, they're just people like, like the members of the satanic temple who... We're recently unbaptizing people at an event in Texas. Maybe some of you read about that. But the Bible says it's not just those individuals. No, no, it's everyone who's not a follower of Jesus is an enemy of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that there is no spiritual middle ground in this life. We are either equally separated from God or equally reconciled to God. We are in the family of the devil or we are in the family of God. And believers, before Jesus became our savior, we were once his enemies. We may not have thought of it that way, but that is exactly how it was. When we lived in sin and selfishness and unbelief, we were by nature rejecting God. So like it or not, that meant that we were fighting against him. It's kind of like this. In North Korea, whether they like it or not, every citizen, who reaches adulthood, must become a part of the North Korean army. At a certain age, everyone, man and woman, must serve in the military for a number of years. Now, former soldiers who have escaped that brutal regime have described what it was like in the army. How they were given barely enough food to survive. How they are brainwashed on a regular basis into obeying the teachings of their dictator. How they're given these cheaply made clothes to wear. They quickly wear out, but they have to keep using them. They don't have another choice. Now, the North Korean army may be one of the largest in the world, but its soldiers are a demoralized bunch following a wicked commander, and all of them are a part of the army, whether they like it or not. That is what it is to be a citizen in North Korea. We see the Bible says those who are not following Jesus in faith are by nature citizens of this sinful world. And all unbelievers make up a large army as they follow their wicked commander, Satan, living as enemies of God, whether they like that truth or not. That is still the truth. And they are on the losing side. The good news is that they do not have to stay there. If we come to Jesus in faith, we're rescued, we're forgiven, and then we are at peace with God. We're no longer citizens of the world, but the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, we become citizens of heaven. And as if that was not enough to overwhelm us with thanks, Paul then says that by faith, we now have access into God's grace in which we now stand. See, this this peace that we have with God, it's not some peace that temporarily sets us free, as though we could lose our salvation. Now, this peace makes us a permanent part of God's family, and we will always stand in that grace. And more than that, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that now, Christians, we can boldly approach the throne of God to receive mercy and grace in our times of need. Believer, if you need something to be thankful for today or this week, There it is. Be thankful for the fact that God is always there for you. His mercy and his grace are ready in abundance. The king who we were once enemies of now bids us to come freely into his presence in all of our times of need. That should bring us great joy. No matter what trial we face, no matter what fear comes upon us, we should have great joy about these things. I want you to think about this relationship that we have with God. There's nothing like this. Think of it this way. Can you imagine being able to run into the Oval Office whenever you want and go to the President of the United States and say, hey, you know, I'm really going through a tough time. I'm having a bad day. I'm scared of this thing. I'm anxious. I don't know what to do, and I just I really need your help. Can you imagine doing that? Of course not. None of us could do that. We'd be tackled by the Secret Service before we could even get to the door. None of us could do something like that. But if the President... Was your father? It would be a different story, right? Well, then you could do something like that. That changes things. That would be some privilege, too, wouldn't it? So how much greater is it, then, that our great God, the creator and ruler of the universe, offers peace to those who come to him in faith. And then he opens his arms up to us so we can come to him whenever we want. He's always there for us. See, there is is no peace as incredible as this peace that we have in Jesus Christ. But we do need to realize that now that we are at peace with him, this means we are no longer at peace with the world. Look at verse 3. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We all go through different types of suffering in this life, don't we? Physical suffering, like pain, cancer, sickness. There are some people in this church who have been going through some of those forms of suffering for a very long time. Or we go through emotional suffering, we lose a loved one. Or we find ourselves suffering through mental health battles or financial struggles or relationship troubles. There are many trials, there are many ways that people suffer. But here's another one that Christians face, and that is that we will suffer for our faith. The moment we laid down the dirty rags of sin and stepped into God's family, we were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. These are the things we've seen so far and the book of Romans. In that moment, we went from the losing side of Satan to the winning side with Jesus Christ. But in that very moment that we became children of God, we also became an enemy of the world and the flesh and the devil. Oh, so now new suffering comes to us believers. Our old sin nature rears its ugly head and tries to pull us into sin. We feel that inner struggle as we wrestle with temptation Oh, the devil, our enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour us, to heap on us guilt, shame, doubt, temptation. Oh, and the world tries to persecute us however it can. In fact, Jesus said to his followers in John chapter 15, he said, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In fact, I'm sure all of us can see the many ways that the world hates God's people. Sadly, that suffering and the idea of suffering makes many Christians afraid. So in fear, they keep silent about their faith, or they go along with the world's morality. They turn a blind eye to sin. They don't realize that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Believers, we didn't come to Jesus Christ to be closer to the world. We came to Jesus Christ to be rescued from it. There will be suffering for our faith. That's the reality of it. The Bible tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That if we choose to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, he said, In this world you will have trouble. But you want to know what he said next? He said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. See, because we have this peace with God, believers, we don't need to fear the world. We don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to run and hide. We can take heart. Because no matter what the world does to us, it can never take us away from what we have in Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to say that we actually, we glory in our sufferings. and Now that word there that our English translates as glory. It's actually the same word that's earlier translated as boast, when Paul said we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, Paul is saying that we can boast in our sufferings. We can rejoice in them. That's weird, right? Sounds weird to us. When what was the last time we were rejoicing in our suffering? But Paul tells us why believers can do that, why Christians can rejoice in suffering. It's because we know that suffering has a purpose. You see, in our trials and our suffering and our persecution, we learn what it is to persevere. So that we would learn not to throw in the towel, throw up our hands, give up in our faith. Through our suffering, our character is strengthened. We become more like Christ. And then our hope, that confident assurance that we have in Christ, it grows. Look, peace with God doesn't mean a perfect life, but it means that we can rejoice even in the imperfections and trials of life. Not because we enjoy suffering, but because we know what suffering will produce and because we know that God is with us through all of it. So believers, don't be discouraged about suffering. No, we can rejoice. because We will always have our Savior. We can find peace in the midst of all these things. There are two artists who were asked to paint a picture that depicted peace. So they both painted their picture, and the day came that they unveiled them, and the first artist unveiled his painting, and it was this beautiful lake with just calm waters, surrounded by trees, a meadow in the distance that stretched off and met the setting sun. It was was incredible. The people were in awe. Well, then the second artist unveiled his painting, and it was very different. It was a stormy scene. Dark rain clouds gathered above. The trees were being whipped about by the wind. This great big waterfall was right in the center of it. It was so realistic, you could just hear the mad rush of the waters as you looked at it. But when you looked at that painting, your your eye was then drawn off to the side where there was a small bird nestled safely in the crest of the rock, safe from the water, the wind, the storm, singing while it sat there. What a great glimpse of peace in the midst of difficulty. You see, Christians, we're going to go through trials, difficulties, sufferings in this life. But the Christians who are at peace in the midst of these things, they're the ones who are resting confidently in Christ. They know that they belong to him. They're never going to be separated from him or from his love. So nothing is going to rob them of the joy and the peace they have in Jesus Christ. They don't fear the world or what the world will do to them because Jesus Christ overcame the world. But there's more for us to see. Look at verse 6. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, not only can we move forward in life as Christians without fearing the world, but because of this peace that we have with God-believers, we also do not need to fear death. And There's perhaps nothing people fear more than death. Many years ago, a philosopher wrote that men fear death the way a child fears the dark. The famous French writer Voltaire, he was someone who hated Christianity, hated Jesus with a passion. Yet when that day of his death came, he was desperate not to die. He was terrified. They say that in his desperation, he begged his doctor. He said, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you can extend my life by just six months. In fact, they say that he was so miserable and so hopeless on that day of his death that the nurse who attended him said, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not watch another infidel die. See, even those like Voltaire who proudly say there's no God, there's nothing after this life, even they are going to face the day of their death. Why do kids fear the dark? That's because it's unknown. Dangers might be there. It's lonely in the dark. Many fear death for the same reasons. Because they look at death as something that is lonely. It's filled with the unknown, but not for the Christian. For the follower of Jesus Christ, when we die, it's not the wrath of God, but the glory of God that we're going to see. Before we were in Christ, we were powerless, Paul says. We were sinners, ungodly enemies of God headed for hell. What a miserable state we were in. But God showed this immense love for us when he sent Jesus to die for us, despite all the things that we have done. Now that, that, that's love. That's a love love I don't think we're ever going to fully grasp. You see, like many of you, I would quickly lay down my life to save someone in in my family. I'm sure many of us would do that. But will we do that for, uh, for our neighbors? What about for a stranger? Will we lay down our life for all the guilty criminals in the world? What about the dictators? Or the criminals, the thieves, the cheats, the liars of the world? At some point, we draw the line. Yet Jesus died for the sins of all of them, including you and me. Thieves and liars in our own right. That's, that's love. It's a love that I don't think we'll ever fully understand. But if we accept it, if we put our faith in Jesus, then we're set free from the penalty of hell. And then we can move forward with this confidence that after this life, we're going to step into eternity with our Savior. And that means that as Christians, we don't need to fear death if by his death Jesus could bring this great forgiveness that we so desperately need, then certainly by his life, for we know that he did not stay in the grave, but that he did rise back to life, for by his life he will never let us go. He will always hold us forever in his grasp. So the Christian can approach death without fear of the unknown, but instead with joy at what lies in store for them. And that Great hope has given boldness to many Christians in their living and in their dying. Let me share an example of that with you. In 1977, in China, two Christian girls were sentenced to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. Despite the insults from the guards, the suffering they face, and the prospect of death, they were not willing to give up their faith or to cower in fear. But sadly, the same thing could not be said for their pastor, who was arrested with them. When the day of execution came for those two girls, they were placed against a wall. And then they watched as their pastor came out, stood in front of them, and was handed a gun by the guards. They realized that he had agreed to kill them in order to save his own life. But before he did, the girls whispered to one another, and one of them spoke up and said this. She said, before being shot by you, we wish to heartily thank you for what you have meant to us. You baptized us. You taught us the way of eternal life. You gave us holy communion with the same hand in which you now have a gun. May God reward you for all you have done for us. You also taught us that Christians are sometimes weak and commit terrible sins, but that they can be forgiven again. When you regret what you are about to do to us, don't despair like Judas, but repent like Peter. God bless you, and remember that our last thought of you was not one of indignation against your failure. Everyone passes through hours of darkness. We die with gratitude. And then the girls closed their eyes, and their pastor shot and killed both of them. Unlike their pastor, those girls showed no fear of death, no fear of man, but rather they showed this incredible, unwavering confidence in their Savior. As for their cowardly pastor, he was promptly put up against the wall and then killed by the guards afterwards. I've read that story many times over the years. And every time I do, I think to myself, oh, that we would all have such confident faith as those two girls. And believers, we should. Because like them, we have peace in Jesus Christ. And that means that we don't need to be defined or controlled by fear in this life. Believer, what fear has gripped your heart recently in your situation, in your relationships, in your difficulties? And is that fear keeping you from trusting the Lord and living for Him? Uh, Remember this truth in your life. Remember that times of fear will come. For all of us, times of fear will come. But we do not need to be overcome by fear, believers. It's not wrong to be afraid when difficult things come your way. We just don't need to be overcome by that fear. Instead, we can remember that we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. And He stands in heaven right now, ready to help in your every need, in your every situation, in your every suffering, in your every fear. The same one who overcame the world and overcame death is in your corner. So we need to ask ourselves, what should I fear? Should we fear death? Should we fear the world? Of course not. Jesus Christ overcame both of them. Believers, if we are facing fears or suffering or difficulties, then let's let today be a day that we go to Jesus Christ and ask him for mercy and grace in this time of need that we have. The Bible says that we can do that. And then let's trust him through whatever difficulty we are facing. Believers, we have everything that we need to persevere through these difficulties, these fears, these sufferings that we face. And that's all because we have peace in Jesus Christ. And that's something that we can praise God for. We can thank him for, not just this week, but every single day. That because we have peace with Jesus, we don't need to live in fear. But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to him, uh, I need you to understand if that's true for you, that the Bible says that you do not have peace with God. That actually, you stand right now opposed to God. You're his enemy. You may not have ever thought of it that way. But that's the truth. And friend, if you don't give your life to Jesus Christ, then at the end of this life, you will be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But you do not, you do not need to do that. You do not need to leave this place the way that you came here. You do not need to stand opposed to God your whole life. Instead, you can go to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, and the eternal life that we all need. And Jesus has been waiting your whole life to do that for you, to forgive you. Don't don't convince yourself that "Ah, I've done too many bad things for Jesus to save me. He wouldn't want me. Jesus does want you. He's wanted you your entire life. He died to save you. He already paid the penalty. He's just waiting for you to come to him in faith. So, friend, don't let anything hold you back from that. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you've never made that decision, you can do that before you leave here today. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if you know, you know that Jesus is not your Savior, don't leave that way today. You can give your life to Jesus Christ right now. You can come forward during this final song of invitation. You can talk with me. We can pray together. But if you're ready to give him your life right now, then I would encourage you to do that. You can go to him in prayer and by faith, admit to him that you know you're a sinner. That you know you need his forgiveness. and Ask him to be your savior. Friend, give him your life. And I promise that if you go to him in prayer by faith, and I promise you on the authority of God's word, Jesus will forgive you of all your sins. He'll save your soul. And you'll always be a part of his family from this day moving forward. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus, we know that there are going to be tough things that we face. Many of us in this room are going through tough things. Some of us are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And some of us know what it is to suffer for our faith. But I pray that none of these things would keep us from praising you and trusting you. I pray that you would help us to be a people that would not give in to fear, but that would instead live with great confidence in you. You'll never lose us. You'll never stop being with us. Father, if there are any believers here today who are going through a time of difficulty or suffering, I pray that during this final song, you would move in their hearts to come before you for grace and mercy in their time of need. I pray that those of us who are here, who are followers of Jesus, that we would also rejoice today at this peace that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we do love you, but you proved beyond a shadow of a doubt when you sent your son that you love us more. And even though I don't think we'll ever fully grasp the depth of that love, help us to always be thankful for it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.